Wise Hard Parking brought to you by Wright Honda and Wright Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Coming up in just a few moments, Ben Thorne of Gears and Gasoline. We had a good conversation in the middle of December. He had recently recovered from COVID. He was in the hospital for 44 days. Came out a new man. Came out and wanted to talk about it a little bit and share his story, his new outlook on life. And we also ended on a couple of questions, fun questions submitted by you, the listener. It is my honor, it is my pleasure to have this as the first episode going into 2022. Gears and Gasoline, these two guys, Ben Lynn, Ben Thorne, they've been doing this for a while. Like many, it was something they did on the side and it eventually became a full-time job for them. This is what they do. They are the YouTubers, but they aren't the YouTubers who stand on cars and do a bunch of crazy stuff and buy the vehicle for shock value. They're very methodical. They're very thorough. They're very good at what they do. And we get to hear Ben Thorne's story today. Right after this, from Four Wheel Online. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Four Wheel Online. For over a decade, Four Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Your truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so we'll get outfitted today. So visit them online at Four Wheel Online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's Four Wheel Online, the number four wheel online. Time for the social media highlight of the week brought to you by the Cell Shop. First, it, it should be brought to you by Gears and Gasoline, but it's brought to you by the Cell Shop, which is an Arizona-based retailer that strives to be your destination for choice of wireless services. Visit them at CellShopUS, that's C-E-L-L-S-H-O-P dot U-S. Ben Thorne, Gears and Gasoline, welcome back to the Hard Parking Podcast. I actually call it Hard Parking, but it is the Hard Parking Podcast. At least we have 50% of Gears and Gasoline, the main cast here. It's been... Gosh, man, it's been a couple of years, right? Yeah, this this podcast might only be half as good without the other Ben. He's he's the more personal one. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a robot, so we'll see how this goes. Most of the conversations, communications I've had over the years have been with you, and they've been fun ones. So, and an, and another thing is, when I was younger, people used to say I sounded like a robot. So maybe that's kind of, you know, where that comes in. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, well, Ben and I, part of the reason you, you've mostly been communicating to me is like the way that Ben and I kind of run things is that we assign certain clients and people to each other. That way we're not accidentally having the same conversation twice. So like, hmm. man, how long ago was it when we first filmed? That I was like that, like five years ago or so. so. You know, one of us had point. I assume it was me. I don't remember at this point. It wasn't that long ago. It, it was it was either 2018 or 2019. I'm going to say 2018. So three years ago? Yeah. Okay. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> Ish. That video is still trucking, by the way. It's still picking up views. I mean, people only know who I am, know who my car was because of that video. What's up? Right. How is Thank it? How is that. it driving around in stealth now? You know, sometimes I have to carry like a picture of it before. Like, hey, this is the <laughs> same car. And they're like, oh, that's the same one. It's like, yeah. Like it, it shows I have like this big thing printed out. Yeah. I remember seeing you showed me a picture of the car, like when you first bought it uh, and, you know, looking at it with the wrap and then looking at it with that picture. I'm like, that's not the same car. Right. <laughs> TE 37s. It was safely built, you know, black with, with tan interior. 
I would imagine safely built. I like that. Safely built, yeah. And That's it was a good definition. It was fine for West Michigan. You guys have been up there, you know, quite often. But mm-hmm. coming to Arizona, it all of a sudden wasn't. I was kind of in that weird middle zone, that dream zone between you know the JDM crowd and the Concourse Cars and Coffee group. It didn't quite fit in, so it's like okay, I have to kind of start. Had to switch the car up a little bit to to not only fit in. Um, but fit in sounds like such a bad thing. Like they should appreciate you for who you are. Yeah, no, not really fit in that way, but just kind of an opportunity to kind of restyle the vehicle. And so, yeah, it's, it's come a long way. So I appreciate you guys for being a big part of the success that that car has had. Uh, Cause again, a lot of people wouldn't even know it existed had it not been for your, for your, uh, your guys' videos at gears of gasoline. So thank you for that before we jump into everything. Yeah, I mean that car is wild. How long did it have the wrap on it? Almost three years. That's a that's a good chunk of time. I, I don't think I've ever left a car visually the same for three years. It felt like it was too long, but I almost feel like it wasn't long enough. Cause it's this weird thing that we do, right? It's like, okay, everybody's seen it by now. It's all beat up. I've got so many miles on it and the front is just it looks like it went through a meteor meteor shower, which is kind of appropriate for the car, but it's Still to this day, people are like, oh, that's so sick. I wish I could see it in person. Yeah, the wrap's been off for almost two calendar <laughs> years now. Yeah. <laughs> so you just got out of the hospital. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And then I want to talk about gears and gasoline a little bit, obviously. And I want to know who you are. I feel like a lot of people don't know who you are. And we had kind of a, a conversation before. Like I said, we, you know, we talk to each other on, on uh, Instagram a lot in the DMS, just bouncing ideas sometimes. But I, f- I got the sense that maybe you don't think you're that interesting. And I think you're very interesting. So I want to learn more about you and some of your experiences. So that's good to go with you. Is that good? Can I, am I allowed to ask some of those things? And you just tell me, I don't feel like sure. talking about that. Yeah, right I now. don't know how I, f- I don't know how I feel <laughs> about you saying that you think I'm interesting. <laughs> I think you're interesting, man. I mean, you know what? We're all interesting. <laughs> and you know, people watch your videos your gears and gasoline videos because they love the content you produce. But a part of it is because it's you guys too, you know? So if I'm narrating those videos, maybe I don't have nearly as many people interested, even if I do them just as well. So there's like a certain way you deliver things. Um, You're personable people who follow you on Instagram and watch your Instagram stories. You know, that's kind of like a behind the scenes look all day of everything that, you know, both you guys do and people, they gravitate that because it's you guys. So. Yeah, God damn it, you are interesting. Gosh darn it, you are interesting. Am I allowed to curse with you on here? Uh, it's your podcast. You do whatever you want. All right. It is mine, but yeah. I, I think I just had one recently where I didn't get it posted by the by the people, and I think I started listening to it later, and I go, oh, I said the word shit once, and I wonder if that's why they didn't, they never posted it. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you don't get fined like you would on like a television network or something. 100%. So, yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, we don't we don't generally get kind of into our personalities, especially on our channel, because our channel is just cars. You know, it's the glorification of cars. So uh, Instagram, we do dive into it a little bit. But uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. This is the real meat and bones right here. This is the real meat and bones. And your personality does come through, by the way. Well, naturally, you can't hide it, I guess. (laughs) Right. So you've been out now. So you were in the hospital. We all, for those of us who know, and some of us, some of my listeners don't know who you are at all, but you were in the hospital with COVID and I actually have a really, another really good friend who's in there now. Um, mm. And you've been out for three weeks now, two weeks now. 
I've thankfully lost track. I've, I've been keeping track while I was in the hospital so closely. It's kind of nice to kind of let the days disappear. <laughs> it was like but a prison thing there. where you were like marking oh, it off totally. the wall. Felt totally trapped. I mean, if anything, prison would feel less trapped because you get to get out of your cell every now and then. This, you're stuck in one room, you know? You're stuck in one room. Yeah. Um, what was going This is a This is a very vague question, okay? But just overall, you're, throughout your entire experience, because I'm going to ask you some specific things about your experience. What was going through your mind? You know, you had a lot of time to think about life in general. You know, I mean, if we, if you want, we can focus on stuff like, you know, take us through the ventilator experience. Yeah. I, uh, so I was in the hospital a total of 44 days, uh, which is about a month and a half. Yeah. Uh, I was sick for five days leading up to then, but those days, those days were easy. I mean, that was like a general flu. That was a walk in the park in in comparison. Wait, hold on, hold on. Um, So five days, how did you know you needed to go to the hospital? would something happen? I, so I, I, the first symptom I got, okay. My process through this was a little different than what you've heard. Like generally it's like mm-hmm. you start with a fever or a headache or something. I got Delta. Uh, so I, I my symptoms were a little different. Uh, I started with a like dizziness. Um, like, uh, well, I guess, you know what dizziness is, you know, mm-hmm. you, you <laughs> move do. your eyes and it kind of, there's a little delay and stuff. Yep. Um, so that was what started and I didn't have a fever or anything. And then about two days later, I was very nervous about potentially having COVID mm-hmm. didn't want to spread COVID. So I kept right. checking, you know, everything I could. And I checked temp- temperature was next. Um, once I got a fever, I was concerned. Um, I was halfway across the country from where I live. I live in Virginia and I was in what state was I in probably Oklahoma at the time. Um, we were doing a road trip through there. Um, so I wanted to get tested for COVID obviously. And I didn't know where you could get tested around that area. Um, but I did find uh, Walmart sells rapid COVID tests. And I was like, sweet, this is great. So I go there and I buy two sets of those. Um, they come in two packs. So I, I test and it comes back negative. I'm like, okay, cool. It's not COVID. I'm going to test again just to be sure. Test it again, negative. Mm. Okay, cool. We're good. I'm like, it must be just a flu. We'll stay in this hotel for a couple of days until I'm over it. And a couple of days went, it was like three days in or something. I bought one of those pulse oximeters to measure your blood oxygen. Yes. I knew that was a big thing with COVID yep. as well. So I'm like, okay, my oxygen is still good. It was like 98%, you know, blood oxygen level. So I'm like, it, it can't be COVID because I would have other issues. So I keep waiting. And then my blood oxygen started going down. And I'm like, crap, I still felt you know, mm-hmm. bad. I still felt fluey. But then when it started, I saw my blood oxygen going down. I got another COVID test and tested and it was positive. So then I'm like, oh, crap. So now I'm looking around for hospitals. I'm halfway across the country. There's no way I could drive back to Virginia. Right. So we were in New Mexico at this point. I went to a local hospital there. We're in the middle of New Mexico. Gallup, do you know where that is? I know where Gallup is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I went to Gallup's hospital and, uh, my blood oxygen was like 91% at the time, which isn't terrible. But the fact that it was going down, I knew that I was in trouble because I know it was going to keep going down. So I went to the, the hospital there. I felt terrible, like much worse than I've had the flu before. It was much worse than that. And uh, the, the doctor there at the hospital was like, eh, you're young. You're fine. Just sleep it off. And they a little dirt on it. 
Yeah, it was like I was there for like an hour and they were like, you're fine. There's other people that need it more than like need need our care more. So they kicked me out. Like, All right, fine. Mm. So then uh, we're like, well, let's see how far we can get back home. And uh, that turned out to be Amarillo, Texas. And that is where I spent the next 44 days at the uh, Northwest Healthcare Hospital System, which, you know, they saved my life. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> You know what Amarillo is known for? Uh, they have that, that big steak. That big steak. Did you get the big steak? Have <laughs> yeah. you ever had the big steak? <laughs> I haven't. It's a big tourist trap. My uh, yeah. so my wife flew out there to to be with me, and she went there. I think she went there. She drove by or whatever. But it's like a huge tourist trap. Oh, that's the worst, man. Dude, man, I have another good friend, and um, I just called you a good friend. Oh, thanks. Of course, I have an I have a, another good friend in SoCal, and we went to visit. You know, we went to Disneyland a few weeks ago and, you know, his wife was like, did he tell you he was in the, I said, no. And same deal, man, his oxygen just nose dove and it was at like deathly numbers before she finally forced him to go in. And the dude walked from one side of the hospital to the other, no business doing that. And it was, and I had no idea he wasn't there for about a month. Yeah. And he man, wasn't in the bad, he wasn't nearly as bad as you were, man. There were so many moments where I was like, this worked out. Like, I'm, I'm a lucky dude. There were so many moments where the, it cut, everything could have gone much worse. But, yeah, I, my, my blood oxygen was down to 81 by the time we got to Texas. I wanted to get to Oklahoma because, I don't know if you realize, Amarillo is at 4,000 feet altitude, which, you know, it's totally flat out there. You don't think about the altitude. And I'm used to sea level because I live in Virginia. Mm. So I was thinking if I can get a lower altitude, I'll have higher oxygen. I'll have a better chance. Right. But I didn't make it that far, unfortunately. Your body like, was already felt, starved. Yeah. Yeah. And down to 81%, everything online saying go to the hospital if you're below 90. Mm -hmm. And that's what all the doctors and nurses when I was in the hospital tried to keep me above 90 with supplemental oxygen. So that's definitely the, if you have blood oxygen level below 90, you should go to the hospital. <laughs> Public service announcement coming from Mr. Ben Thorne of Gears and Gasoline. I've Take got like three of those uh, pulse oxes now. You have three? Yeah. You know what? I, I heard they're they're not expensive at all. I should We should order some for the house, actually, or at least, you know, one or two for the house because, you know, like I have freaking four generations of people living here. But that's, <laughs> you know, for, for another story. So you're, you're checked into the hospital when you finally mm -hmm. get into a hospital that actually, you know, takes your condition seriously. Yeah, I walked into a clinic first, actually, <laughs> and yeah. I, I walked up and I was like, hey, um, I have COVID. <laughs> and they're like, OK, what are your symptoms? I told them my symptoms. And then uh, they were like, wait, do you have COVID? And I was like, yeah, I have COVID. And they're Just like, oh, you. well, you should have told us that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, that was my first time riding in a, an ambulance. I rode from the clinic to their hospital in an ambulance. That was interesting. Any videos on ambulances ambulance? coming up? No, no. Uh, our friend do it with Dan bought an ambulance and he's doing a build on it, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Came with the equipment in it. I, I just think that's crazy. What? Yeah. That's kind of insane. I've never, no, I've never been in an ambulance. Had to think about that before. Yeah. I've never been in, in an ambulance. You, you expect it to be like smooth, but it's not like the suspension is pretty stiff. Maybe it's cause I was in the back, but I don't know if, if I was, if I was bleeding out or something, I would want it to be a smoother ride. Thankfully the bumps weren't, uh, you know, they don't make COVID worse. 
if I had to pee really bad, I'd be really upset. All that moving around, bladder's about to blow up. <laughs> so they get you in. And, I mean, at what point did you start to, did you ever start to freak out a little bit when they're like, okay, we have to put you on oxygen to help you. And then you go from oxygen to help you to where you can't do it on your own. I didn't really freak out until they kept threatening me with a ventilator, which I was not a fan of them threatening me with a the ventilator. They, they Explain. Because my my imagination is kind of wild right now. So I could, it's, it's like when I threaten my grandson, hey, you're going to be in timeout. <laughs> it's you know? kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was there for two weeks before I got on the ventilator. So, you know, they had the, the oxygen that runs through your nose that I don't I forget what it's called, but you know what I'm talking about. You see it everywhere. So um, they had me on the just general oxygen that goes into your your nose. They measure it by liters per minute. Mm -hmm. Um, They started me on five liters per minute, which I was thinking about that. And I'm like, five liters per minute. That's a, you know, that's a a coyote motor every minute. That's a lot of displacement, you know? (laughs) So they started me on that and uh, my oxygen was okay, but then they had to keep increasing it. And I did not like that because that means I'm getting worse. I wanted to be getting better. You know, I'd been there already for a while. I know I'd already been sick for five days. And I'm like, how long did it take to get over this? You know, I've had friends get COVID and they they sleep it off. It's like five days and they're done. And those are just, to paint the picture here, that's the tube that has like the two little ends on it where they don't, it doesn't go into your body. It just goes into each nostril, correct? Right. It comes up over your ears and then kind of down. Now, my mother-in-law, as long as and she lives with us, she's part of that four-generational thing I was talking about. So she has an oxygen machine that she used to always have to use. She's on a different kind of medication. But just to paint the picture for the people listening, she's always been really bad, and hers is always on two and a half. So you're already starting mm. on five plus getting larger. So continue. Yeah, the nurses were saying they usually keep people below three, but COVID patients are always like ridiculous numbers. So... Uh, yeah, I started on five. didn't think much of that. I was just like, oh, that kind of stinks. But when I had to keep increasing it was when I, like, I kept getting upset every time they increased it. And then there was a point, I mean, about a weekend, I would have like minor freak out moments where I'm like, crap, like it's getting worse. I'd either mm-hmm. feel worse or they would turn the oxygen up and that would start producing anxiety. I'm not an anxious person. Like that just doesn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. But it definitely was there. And maybe it's because I was in a room for a week, which I don't think I've ever spent that long in one place before. And you can't see out the window because the bed is so low. You can't really see out the window. You can see the sky and that's it. So I'm just trapped in a little tiny room, uh, which they were tiny, maybe a 10 by 10 foot room. Yeah. So, you know, I have moments where there bars on the door. No. Okay. So you weren't in prison. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I was good there, uh, but I couldn't get up to to, to run out because I'm tethered to everything, so right. <laughs> I was still trapped. <laughs> yeah, it, and you know, you get up to use the bathroom every now and then, which I won't get into too much detail about. Thank but you, you get Thank super you for dizzy. <laughs> no problem. You you get super dizzy because your oxygen drops whenever you're you know exerting effort because your blood mm-hmm. needs the oxygen, so now it's striving for more, so it just drops, and then my heart rate goes up because your heart's pumping harder because it doesn't have as much oxygenization. So my heart rate would get up to 160, 170, just trying to go pee. And that would freak me out, which didn't help my heart rate. Heart rate was high in general because that's a COVID thing as well. Yep. Um, just laying down in bed, it was sitting at like 120, 130 at that time. 
so yeah, so I would freak out then. They kept turning the oxygen up until they maxed out the machines on the floor. They mm. called it the floor, the general hospital rooms. Um, what is that number? Do you know? Or do they, they don't tell you? I they thought just... it was 10. It okay. was so long ago, <laughs> relatively speaking. I guess it was only three months ago now, but it, uh, yeah, I can't remember what that number was, but it was around 10, I want to say, eight, seven, somewhere in that range. Which, oh, they had me on a different mask at that time, too. Yeah. They moved me over to a full, like, face mask, mm-hmm. like, that goes over your mouth and yeah. nose in order to increase the oxygen because they can't run it through the, the nose thing on the floor anyway. 15. It was 15. Yeah. That's a big number. With the mouth thing, they had me on 15 liters per minute. So, at that point, I was freaking out more. They did a uh, arterial blood draw, which you never want to have those. That mm-hmm. is painful. Good grief. Yep. Regular blood draws, it's like, eh, you know, I don't like needles. Arterial blood draws take time to get into the artery. Not a fun experience. Uh, so that freaked me out even more. And then which the numbers artery? from like the, which which uh, which route? It was on my wrist, okay. like just my left hand wrist, which I still feel pain from. And it's three months later, but I'm also just a wuss. No, that <laughs> um, sounds like that would suck. Yeah. So after that, because apparently your arteries read a different percentage of oxygen mm-hmm. than what the pulse oxygen can read. So the pulse ox can lie and say it's 91, which is what they tried to keep me at. And then they do an arterial blood draw and they can find out that you're actually much less oxygenated. Oxygenated? Oxygenated? I don't know that word. Oxygenated? Oxygenated? I don't know. You have less oxygen than they think. Less oxygen, right. (laughs) Uh, Right. So the pulse ox is lying, right? So I was in worse condition than what we all thought I was in, which makes sense because I felt terrible, dizzy, and my heart rate was super high. Which was honestly the main symptoms, uh, just to kind of take a step back. I didn't have a headache. I mean, I had like one or two days had a mm-hmm. headache, but that's kind of normal. I didn't, you know, didn't have that splitting head- headache that everyone that has COVID says they get. I was coughing before I got to the hospital and a little bit into the hospital, but that kind of stopped as well. Uh, I did get pneumonia from it, which we'll get into later. But that was, that's a obviously common symptom with COVID. It attacks your lungs. But yeah, I didn't have the normal symptoms, which is interesting. Uh, so at that point, about two weeks in, they moved me to the ICU, which I had a minor freak out then as well. But it was right. honestly kind of nice. I Rolling through the hallways after being in a room for two weeks was like a breath of fresh air. Like my heart rate came down, my oxygen went up, just being able to see things. So for the next 24 hours or so, I was okay. And then it dropped. <laughs> they... Uh, they had this like super beefed up oxygen down there. They had the nose thing that they could crank up to 30 and it was heated and it had humidity in it. So it didn't dry out, which was really nice. But 30 liters per minute getting forced through your nose was like if you're driving down the highway and you stick your head out the window and you try to breathe. Oh my God. <laughs> it was terrible. Like to try to inhale and let alone exhale was very difficult, but my body needed the oxygen. So that, like not being able to breathe at that amount is really, really scary. So I kept freaking out when they had it at 30. They turned it down to 20, and then they put a face mask over that. So I had the nose at 20, and then they put a face mask breather at 10. So I still had the 30, and I could breathe in a little bit through my mouth as well and kind of exhale that way. So I sat at 30 liters per minute total for maybe another week or so. And uh, 
that's where my memory kind of fades out. Sure. Because my heart rate kept going up. I saw the sitting in a hospital, but my heart rate was, was hitting 140, 150, laying down, which is kind of scary. And I do have a history of some, you know, heart issues in my family. So I was getting okay. scared of that. Right. Um, so that was when they started sedating me. Uh, I wish I could remember what they used, what it was called, but they started sedating me, which is, that's where my memory gets blurry. Apparently I was still conscious for like another day or so. Uh, boy, I would have loved to see myself then because I've been told stories from my wife about some funny things I've done. (laughs) I was going to say, if you could remember the sedation, then it probably wasn't good enough. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, (laughs) I, uh, they kept, yeah. Man, this this story goes in so many directions. Did you did you keep repeating yourself and don't remember it? Is it one of those type of mm. type of deals? And also, you know, was there ever that time before they took you down the hall where you got the the fresh? It was like a breath of fresh air, which is an interesting choice of words given the situation. Yeah, literally. Yeah, where <laughs> the nurse? Did you ever catch the nurse and like the doctor kind of exchanging quick looks and one kind of shakes its head back and forth and no, like you see in the movies, real subtly. When you're like, shit. They were super positive the whole time. And that kind of made me angry too. Cause I'm like, I know Don't things are lie good. to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, just tell me the truth, man. Like, yeah. I am all about being blunt. Yeah. Um, which is why I kept getting annoyed. We'll go back to when, when they kept threatening with, with the ventilator. As soon as I got to the ICU, basically, the nurses and the doctors kept like, anytime I didn't want to do something. They would be like, "Well, you're gonna have to be on the ventilator then." Like, like what? Like, what didn't you want to? What didn't you want to do? The the nose thing at 30 was so tough. I didn't mm-hmm. want it that high. Yeah. Because I felt like I couldn't breathe as well as if it was at 20. And they they kept saying, "You need more oxygen now to fight it." And if you don't, then we'll have to put you on the ventilator. Which I did everything they asked me, uh, sure. with the exception of one drug that they, I mean, they always give you the choice, and they always say that you you don't have to take it if you don't want it. But I did turn down one drug. Uh, couldn't tell you the name of it because they're all named really weird. They but, are um, on purpose. Yeah, my uncle-in-law just passed away from it going through COVID as well. So I did not want that drug. Mm-hmm. Um, albeit there's no blood relation there. But I knew that it was really hard on your liver. I didn't I didn't want that. That's like one degree of separation I'm, though, right? So it's like, okay, that's true. too close to comfort, blood or not. Right. And it was also – it had just happened like a week earlier. Right. So it was still fresh. Um yeah, I, I'm not intelligent enough to know what these drugs do. Huge shout out to my wife and my mom and my brother and my brother's doctor friends. Uh, there were so many people that were looking into every time a doctor would come in and tell me one of the drugs that they wanted to give me, I would text it to my wife and she would convey it and we'd figure out whether I wanted to take it or not or what the effects of it were. Because you don't know um, if it's legit, which, right? Or if you're just an experiment. Right. They all just come in and they're like, all right, you're going to give me this now. and you know, maybe most people just say, okay. Um, but I'm, I'm a pain in the butt. So I, yeah. I didn't, <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm, I'm careful about what I ingest. I, if I get a headache, I take half the dosage of Advil. So that's just kind of how I mm-hmm. have been doing things all my life. And then you get to the hospital and they just start throwing everything at you. Ventilator. What, right. what so, was that like? Because it sounds like it sucks. I wasn't conscious when they put it in. I mean, maybe I was conscious, but I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. When they put the ventilator in, when they intubated me. My wife says I fought it when they put it in, which makes sense. Um, they shove a tube down your throat and into your lungs, which goes past your vocal cords. 
which we'll get into that later, but your mm-hmm. vocal cords are, are a muscle. They kind of contract in. So you got they have to push those apart to get through. Yeah. It doesn't sound fun. I don't remember it. Thankfully it was kind of like being in a coma. It wasn't a coma, but like I was, I have no association with time and how much time has progressed. I remember seeing a lot of black having my eyes closed and then every now and then there would be a shearing pain in my neck from when the nurses came in to flip me. They would come in to move me from one side to the other or on my stomach. They have to keep rotating you to prevent bed sores. And also because COVID patients, you're supposed to lay them on your stomach because your lungs are near the back of your uh, core. I did (laughs) not know uh, that about being on your stomach because of that. Yeah, there's less organ pressure. So it's easier yeah. for your lungs to breathe if you're on your stomach and, and something about how it can break up pneumonia, um, which oh. I had a lot of. Yeah, really, really interesting. I didn't know about that either. And hospital beds aren't really designed for you to be on your stomach. Um, yeah, so they they came in. I don't know how often or how frequently, but they came in to flip me every now and then. And uh, I, that would wake me up from the sedation, from the, the pain in my neck, because it's hard to support your head when you're flipping them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people were there, but more than one because you could hear them talking to each other, but you're paralyzed from the sedation. You can't, you can't physically move anything. So you're sitting there in pain as they're flipping you and you can't tell them that you're in pain. Cause like, if you could, if I could even just talk, which you can't talk to this tube down your throat, right. but if I could even signal to them, you know, they could probably fix the solution, the, the situation pretty easily, but no, it's being trapped in your own body is like the worst thing ever. And that happened for the next 10 days. Can't talk to anybody. You got a vent in your mouth. And at that point, I was on so much sedation that I was, you know, an opioid addict. They had me on three different types of sedation at that point. Apparently, I was very hard to sedate. I don't know if that's because I don't take a lot of, you know, medication generally or what. Maybe it's just because I'm relatively young, you know, for a COVID patient. But I, uh, they kept asking, my wife told me this later, they kept asking my wife if I was a drug addict, like if I did hard drugs. And they didn't believe her when she kept saying no. Because my liver was processing it so quickly, they had to keep increasing it. Yeah, apparently there was one point, they had me restrained, they had my arms restrained, because there was one point when I woke up, and apparently I could lean forward and I was trying to pull the vent tube out. Again, I don't remember any of this. Um, it seems like that would be kind of a natural, a natural thing, like get this thing out of, out of me like you know i could see your body your mind wanting to get that shit out right and i probably didn't know where i was either because Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever had a good long sleep and you wake up you kind of might forget where you are every morning traveling and you're in a hotel or something (laughs) yeah it's probably (laughs) like that what era am i in now Yeah. (laughs) yeah so they they have me on lots of sedation and uh that caused a lot of hallucinations um, later, once I came off the vent, um, I was on the vent for 10 days in total. If you thought 30 liters per minute was a lot, they had me up to 100 on the vent. Good but of Lord. course that's red. Yeah. It's read a little differently cause it's pulsating. Mm-hmm. It's not constant. Uh, I don't know much about the vent cause I was sedated, but well, that just means you can't um, breathe on your own. I think people need to understand right. that. Like you, you couldn't breathe on your own. Yeah, it was totally the ventilator was breathing for me. The the monitors will show you when you try to breathe on your own and when the vent is doing it. Again, I'm getting all this information from my wife because I wasn't there Mm -hmm. consciously. My I wasn't breathing on my own until I think five days in. 
and then you would start trying to breathe on your own, which is difficult with the ventilator, and they have to kind of turn the setting down and let you kind of take back over. But yeah, so it was about five days until I got better, and then they kept me on for five days to make sure it would stick. Because from what I've heard, if they let you off the ventilator too soon, you might have to go back on it, um, which mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Right. Um, so yeah, that it was kind of dark for about 10 days, trapped in my own body in, in pain. And then after 10 days, they pulled the vent tube out, which was not a fun experience. They have to wake you up for that. And they were like, don't fight this because if you do, you could have more problems. Yeah, it was the tube is a lot longer than you think because you can only feel it up until about the back of your throat. You don't realize how far it goes down. I guess you don't have nerves down there. You can't feel it. So they pulled the tube out and it just like keeps coming out. Yeah, it was like a um, magician pulling out like napkins out of his sleeve. It It just kept going. So you have to be looking at like, oh my God, like that was in me. Yeah, right. I guess it goes all the way down to your lungs. Just thinking about anatomy, it's like, what do you mean all the way? I'm like, my lungs are right there, but I guess they're not really right there. Yeah, it takes a little bit of a squiggly path, but I mean, I don't know. It's fairly straight. It's going to be hard to describe through an audio podcast, but there's two passages down your throat, one for your stomach and one for your lungs. The one for your stomach is kind of a straight path down. So if you, you know, put something down the back of your throat, it's going to go straight down and into your stomach. The lungs kind of diverts a little bit uh you've got a flap there that kind of closes your lungs if Mm -hmm. you're eating or drinking that's called the epiglottis the thing Um, that we swallow we it goes down the wrong hole and we cough right and cry for the next five minutes (laughs) yeah so that you've got to get past that flap and then you've got to get past the vocal cords before you can get into the lungs Mm. so i i don't know how that actual intubation works um yeah huge shout out to the nurses and doctors i mean the the amount of crap that they had to put up with uh, figuratively and literally is incredible. Obviously that's kind of like beat through your head and in the media at this point, which is a good thing um, yeah. because they deserve it. But uh, yeah, I, through my whole 44 days there, I had to have had 88 different nurses because they're on 12 hour shifts and then they'd be a different nurse, six or seven different doctors. Given, given everything you've said so far, you think they're in the hallway or in the break room? drawing straws to see who gets to go take care of that Ben Thorne kid. (laughs) There was a point when I knew nobody wanted to deal with me. That's for sure. Yeah. I imagine there's other patients that are like me, hopefully, but I have a low tolerance for pain. I'll admit. And, uh, they had to draw blood every day uh, at 3 AM to test to make sure everything's okay and make sure your white blood cell count's good. And they really cared about potassium. My potassium was low. Maybe that's just because it's me, but, yeah, they draw blood every day at 3 a.m. They wake you so up. Even if, if you manage to sleep, yep. right? Even yep. if you manage to get asleep, which was rare, then they'll wake you up at 3 a.m. to stick a needle in your arm, which at first wasn't a big deal until maybe 20 or 30 days in. Like, I, it, my veins stopped giving blood. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was because I got dehydrated or because I had so much muscle atrophy. Like, right. I lost 30 pounds while I was in the, the hospital for 44 days which is a crazy amount of weight to lose, not a healthy amount of weight. Not a healthy, um, no. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a combination of those things, but they could not get blood out of me. And there was a point at 3 a.m. where they had like three different people try to get blood and they couldn't get anything out of me. So then they they ultrasounded my arms to find the vein, which was interesting. 
and they couldn't find a vein. So that was when they decided to do what's called a pick line. So it's further up your arm and it runs through your vein to get close to your heart. So there's like a tube that they stick in there and then run up your vein, um, which is weird to think about. Uh, but I had the pick line in for the rest of the time there, which was nice. And they drew blood from that, um, which made it a lot easier. So it sounds like I, uh, your, your, your veins were, um, do partial dehydration. Obviously they try to keep you hydrated, but they were, they were retreating a little bit because there was just nothing in there to, to, to move them. Yeah. They had me on, they, they put saline bags and stuff, but this was after intubation, mm-hmm. which pre-intubation then was a lot better than post-intubation then. <laughs> Action figure. <laughs> I Limited yeah. edition. You don't want post-intubation then. That's, that's the bad guy. That's, that's when they drew straws of, of who had to deal with me. Um, yeah, they couldn't draw blood from me and I was hallucinating like crazy. Um, I won't get into some of the, I mean, it, it felt so real, but it was not real. Uh, I thought there was like a shooting in the hospital because I kept hearing what I thought was gunshots. Um, I saw an iguana at one point. I was in Texas and I saw an iguana. It was in my room. Um, yeah, don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> this sounds kind of exciting. I mean, I don't want to get COVID and go in the hospital to see iguanas yeah. and think, but I don't know, man, it's, it's exciting, think, but not. Yeah. It's a shooting and you're worried about getting shot. That sounds exciting to you. <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, not that, but it's like, can we bring some of those back? Wow. That was, I, I had a dream. I was uh, rowing a boat through a pot of gold, like Scrooge McDuck, you know, just one of them crazy ass things. That's a dream. I was having nightmares. Yeah. They're a little different. Okay. All right. You know, tomato, tomato. <laughs> there was, yeah. There was a point where, uh, the police came in to try to get this fig, you know, figurative shooter, uh, with drone strikes, which was fun because then I started hearing what sounded like mortars, um, going off in the hospital and uh, it insane. was all just my brain playing tricks on me. That is, yeah. that is insane. That lasted for days. My mother and my wife were allowed to visit. Visiting hours were only 30 minutes long per day, two times a day, which I'm glad that they even let visitors at all because I know a lot of hospitals don't let visitors into the COVID ward for obvious reasons. But they had this PP set up where they had to wear basically a full gown, goggles, and an N95 mask yep. um, before you can enter. It worked because n- nobody else got COVID, which is good. Um, that's what the nurses do. And I know some of them, you know, weren't vaccinated or anything. I had a doctor walk in my room, take his mask off. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm like, are you vaccinated? And he said, no, I, I, that blows my mind, but we won't get into that. Right. (laughs) Regardless, my wife and my, um, mom were telling me that like, there was a full 24 hour period where I wouldn't even talk to them because this shooter had threatened to kill my mom and my wife. Again, wow. all a figment of my imagination, wow. but it terrified me. So, like, in order to protect them, I was trying to not, like, yeah, it, <laughs> it goes so deep. It's like one of those dreams where once you wake up, you're like, wow, that was really dumb. But when you're in the moment, especially with that, it was absolutely terrifying. And that lasted for a couple of days. Uh, then it, the, the hallucinations got lighter for the next, like, week or so um, where they weren't so crazy. But I was still not all there. Apparently, my eyes were like dilated for a while. And I kept hearing fake nurses. At least I 
assuming they're fake nurses, I'd love to go back and actually talk with some of those nurses to figure out what actually happened. Sure. But, uh, there was one nurse that I heard the entire time that kept talking about me. And I think that that's a fake nurse because he would keep saying things about the shooter and stuff. And that mm. was what made me think that, okay, yeah, this right. shooter's real. And uh, I kept hearing what sounded like a triple shot. Um, it was like, do, do, do. And I would hear that every few minutes. And I, I just thought that was the shooter. And I asked the nurse about it. I was like, I keep hearing gunshots. And it was, it's like, it's like a triple shot. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, and then it happened while she was in there. I was like, there, that. And she goes, oh, that's our carts rolling across the floor. They have three sets of wheels. Whenever they go for a scene, uh, it just goes doo -doo 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 -doo. as the cart's rolling across the scene. Yeah, crazy how your brain can play tricks on you like that. That's that's crazy. You get out of this thing. So you actually, you had to go through speech therapy. Tell us this about is that. Where, so this is where things get frustrating for me, but... Oh, um, just now with the speech, thanks, just now it's getting frustrating? <laughs> yeah, well, sure. <laughs> but like, I shouldn't be frustrated. Before, I had a right to be. But now, I just survived the ventilator, which the doctors told my wife, as soon as they put me on the ventilator, day one, they told my wife that I had a 25% chance of surviving. Not something you should tell your wife as soon as they put you on the vent. But now, I, Did I you guess, ever hear uh, that or you had to hear that after the fact? I didn't know going on to the vent, but also I didn't know that I was going to be on the vent because I was mm -hmm. sedated a day before. So, uh, yeah, I don't remember the process leading up yeah. to my wife made that decision for me. You know, I was I was definitely not all there. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, my lips were blue, like my fingertips were like purple, like I needed to be on the vent. But, like the doctor said, I was going to die within that 24 hours if I didn't put him on the vent, which is why my wife made that decision of course and i'm glad she did yep um but uh yeah i mean you never really think you're that close to death and then afterward is where it really hit me i started having survivor's guilt like i i don't think i'm a great person like why did i make it through this and so many other people that are way better than me not mm. um that hits you hard yeah um and it's still hitting me hard yeah um I'm glad this is not a video, <laughs> but yeah. So I was getting frustrated after getting off the vent just cause I'm a little brat. You know, I wanted to be better and out of the hospital now. And it's a long process for recovery. Uh, I beat COVID. They negative tested me. Um, they tested me for COVID and I was negative. And, uh, you know, most of the pneumonia was gone. After the ventilator, I still needed oxygen, but it was five liters per minute. So I was back down significantly from before, which was crazy because to me, those 10 days went by fairly quickly. It didn't feel like 10 days. So then to go from being on 30 to five, you know, after the event, I was, I was relieved at that, but I couldn't talk um, when they pulled the tube out because the vocal cords stretch from having the tube run through it and it needs to be tight. So it needs to kind of retract. So when they first pulled the tube out, it gets swollen from having the tube in there. So my voice worked for the first 24 hours. I sounded weird and different, but it worked for the first 24 hours. And they're like, your voice will get better. Don't worry about it. And I was like, okay. And then after those 24 hours, I had no voice. I could whisper and that was it. It's creepy too. Which was frustrating. Yeah. Wait, so you're, 
so your voice was different at first. And uh, now help us with that. Like, what did it sound like? Because when you say that, I'm I'm envisioning all the public service announcements, commercials with the smokers, how they have to put the voice box on their neck. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't, I mean, I didn't have a voice box. It didn't sound like that, but it did sound like I've been chain smoking for all my life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it was kind of airy and kind of gravelly and low. (laughs) And then all I could do was creepishly whisper. And then, yeah. Then all I could do was whisper after that, which you don't realize how much you need volume when you're talking uh especially if you're in a hospital like the nurse will come into the room and with all the equipment running the room is already fairly loud with you know air conditioning Mm -hmm. beeps the iv drip all that stuff going and then you try to ask her something you have to whisper (laughs) and the only time they can hear you is if they you know it's like oh what was that hun and they have to put their head down like near you in order for you to communicate with them and then if you forget to ask for something when they're leaving the room, too bad. You can't like, hey, hey, hold on. Right. You can't do any of that. It's too quiet. So that that was probably less frustrating than not being able to drink water. The epiglottis, which we talked about earlier, that little flap between the stomach passage and the vocal passage, it really just covers the vocal passage. Mm-hmm. But that flap and my vocal cords, those have to work together to close whenever you eat or drink. Right. But because it just had a tube down it for 10 days, it wasn't working right. So mm. anytime I would try to drink water, it would go into my lungs. Uh. Yeah. Uh, and then you have a coughing fit for the next 10 minutes. Um, and on top of that, you could get pneumonia again from that, which I just beat. I don't want to go through that again. So I can't drink water. The doctors were very clear that I cannot drink water. Um, any thin liquids would get in the first 24 to 48 hours nothing i couldn't eat or drink anything because it just wouldn't it would go down into my lungs and i thought that they could give you nutrition through an iv drip but i was wrong they have to give you a feeding tube um which was i was on a feeding tube while i was on the vent and that's how i was able to keep nutrition for 10 days but then when you're off the vent you don't have a feeding tube either so i went 48 hours without eating anything which sucked and i've been in the hospital for over a month at this point eating hospital food so I had already lost a ton of weight. Uh, you know, it's tough to keep up the amount of calories that you have when you're out of the hospital. So, and all the meals were low calorie. I mean, even leading up to it, it's like 500 calories per meal. I'm like, man, I, I need more than this. Yeah. Yeah. So after 48 hours, I, I have a speech therapist come in every day. And the speech therapist was helping me through a lot of the trying to get my vocal strength back. There was like different exercises, uh, the, the vowel sounds, when you uh, say a word that leads with a vowel, that works your vocal cords more. So things like Easter, Earth, E's and A's were the, the most typical, that the apple, you know, whatever. Apple. That works your vocal cords more, that initial hit can strengthen it. So she gave me like this list of all these words, and I'd, I would just sit there in the room reading these random words like a crazy person, which, you know, I was a crazy person because I was sure. still hallucinating a little. Uh, that that was really frustrating not being able to eat she taught me some tricks after 48 hours to tilt your head down will kind of close off your um vocal passageway a little bit more um and then you can swallow and it will like more naturally go into your stomach so i did that and i was able to eat pudding which is thick not thin um so that was great so the third day i had pudding 
all day. That was it. One, one cup of pudding. And then every day was a little bit better than the last. And when I say a little bit, I mean a little bit, like it was just a tiny bit better. So like the next day pudding again, like I can't have anything else again. The next day uh, I would have, uh, and I can't remember the foods. I try not to, they, they were all bad, but I would progressively expand my diet. Oh, the jello. And then they had this like protein jello, which was Sounds bizarre. Terrible. It was like a, yeah, it was a cup, like a typical jello sized cup, um, but it had like 30 grams of protein in it or something. It was nuts. Was it at least it was flavored? Terrible. Yeah. Like chocolate chunk? No, it was green. It looked radioactive. Uh, I guess lime. I don't even Developed know. any superpowers? Um, Have you noticed any irregularities in your strength or any other skills or attributes since you've been out? <laughs> uh irregularities yes i'm very weak but we'll get into that muscle atrophy um yeah so the diet was frustrating but that it did eventually get better it took me one month like almost exactly to get my voice back clearly i have my voice back now in about a week's period there it sounded really funny as it was like coming in it was like hitting puberty again uh in a different way (laughs) but yeah so then i could eventually eat and drink more but not being able to like drink water for three or four weeks was terrible. The thin liquids were what took the longest because you can eat thicker solids won't get past the epiglottises easily, but the thin liquids get past it. No uh, water was the last thing. I used to watch a show called uh, man versus wild. He had this thing where he couldn't, he, he was thirsty and he couldn't drink water and he came across a puddle of stale water. And he just happened to have a garden hose laying around that he, someone just left there for him. And so he sucked the water up his butt and that's how he got his nutrition. Did you ever think about <laughs> doing that? Oh no, no. That's Thank a survival goodness, no. thing. So if you're ever in that position again, make sure no one's looking and grab a water hose and just, you know, <laughs> I don't even know how and you should be would, hydrated. I, <laughs> well, because okay. I guess your intestines, your, your intestines like filters out all the bad so good that it can actually take that hit without actually making you sick. So. I, I hope I never have yeah. to find out, but I mean, you never know. I suppose it's connected. Yeah, I won't talk about my uh, intestines, but that was that was another storyline. Um, but uh, that is not podcast friendly. <laughs> That's for the Patreons <laughs> for the bonus. Oh, yeah, people have to pay for that content, dude. So, were you ever were you ever afraid you weren't going to get your voice back, or have it be so permanently oh, yeah. damaged that you wouldn't you know feel as comfortable narrating your videos? Or anything I, I thought my voice your... would come back different. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, they're, they're damaged. They, they've been separated and they have to come back together. Why wouldn't it sound different? But turns out it's the same. Um, yeah, I, I was worried about, I didn't care if it sounded different. I think that'd be kind of novel. Um, but yeah, I was worried about them not coming back. I, oh man, they, so because I was worried uh, about them not coming back, uh, I'm still, recovering right i i have yeah. a bunch of scar tissue in my lungs i'm still to this day as we record this i'm i'm still recovering and will be for probably a few months and hopefully it will fully recover it might not but um regardless my heart rate is still high recovering with my lungs um so like my heart rate at that point was like 130 or so just sitting and then so because i was worried about my voice not working and mainly not being able to drink water they did feed me saline through the IV drip. So I was still getting hydration, thankfully. But at a certain point, especially that 48 hour period, when you can't eat or drink for 48 hours, 
your mouth just starts tasting like metal from all the IV fluids and stuff. Mm. They were still tapering me off of the sedation. They had some antibiotics still, I think, at that point, and then the saline drip. And then they got to come in, pull, you know, draw blood every now and then. And when they draw blood, they have to flush the IV or the pick line with more saline um, fluid, which tasted like metal every time they did it. So, like, I felt like a machine uh, and not in a good way. So that was super frustrating. So, yeah, I, I, the, what I would have done at that moment to drink water, oh, my goodness, that was all I wanted. I didn't, I didn't care about any flavored foods or anything. I just wanted water. And I hadn't, you know, tasted anything in the last 10 days because I've been on the vent. But, um, yeah, so they took me to this, like, three-dimensional x-ray, not a C- – you probably know what it is, you know, having radiology experience. It wasn't a CT scan or anything like that. It was just an x-ray that pivots uh, around you. Okay. And uh, they were going to have me drink fluid with a dye in it, and they were going to pivot this machine and watch a video of the fluid going down my throat and see – kind of what happened and where it goes. Oh, video swallow study. Um, that, also, that was a yeah. C-arm. It's called a C-arm. That, yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, it, it was super neat. Um, unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to go through the process. They put me in a wheelchair to roll me down to the radiology room or whatever. And just it sitting in that seating position put so much strain on my body because I had so much muscle atrophy from being in bed for at that point over a month, but also being intubated for 10 days where you literally don't move a muscle. None of your muscles flex at all in any way for 10 days. So they just all deteriorate. I looked like a skeleton. I was so skinny. So I had no muscle to hold myself in a chair. And as they're rolling me down in the wheelchair, my monitors started going crazy. It's all wireless, which is cool, but telemetry is what they kept calling. There's, mm-hmm. there's a section where they're, they're watching your heart rate and everything. And they were calling and they're like, his heart rate got up to 160. Like, you need to bring him back to the room because it shouldn't be at 160 sitting in a wheelchair. So we were literally sitting there. They had positioned me in the x-ray and we were about to do it. And they're like, we, we can't. Your heart rate's too high. You got to get back into the bed. So that was frustrating. So then they said they can do a nose scope where they run basically like an inspection sca- camera, like a borescope, mm-hmm. uh, down your nose and then down your throat to look at your vocal cords and your epiglottis and see what's going on. And they assured me it would not be painful, but don't let that fool you. (laughs) I would say uncomfortable is the best definition. It wasn't like a sharp pain, but uh, if you've ever had a COVID test or anything stuck up your nose, it's weird. It's not comfortable, but this goes all the way up to the top of your nasal canal and then turns down. So, and then you could feel it in the back of your throat. Uh, which was also uncomfortable. They did that three times because uh, there was different doctors that came in that wanted to see different things. But yeah, you know, all we found out from that was my epiglottis was leaking a little bit and fluid was getting by. And they were like, well, yeah, I mean, it should recover with time, which it did. It took a month. They said it could take up to three months. And af- after three months, it still hasn't come back. So they put Botox in your vocal cords to swell them up to get them to touch again. Oh, shit. And then apparently that'll like fade out and that'll go away and your voice will continue working because it's kind of relearned it. But yeah, I didn't ask the details on how they get the Botox in there because I didn't want to know. And thankfully I'll never have to know. So the last annoying and frustrating thing would be the muscle atrophy. It's a weird feeling to be the weakest person on the planet, like no muscle. 
I, a couple days after the intubation, I remember I couldn't brush my own teeth it laying in the bed. I couldn't brush my teeth. I had, the, I had the nurse come to brush my teeth for me because I couldn't hold my arm up for more than like one second. I, I just couldn't that's in, like that's hold my arm crazy. up enough to brush my teeth. I was so weak. And then, uh, you know, physical therapists would come in. We'd do like the tiniest, dumbest little exercises while you're sitting in a bed. But it, it helped. It worked. And eventually they got me to stand. Uh, they had to hold me because you lose all your balance because you haven't had to stand in a month and a half at that point, which is you never should have to experience that. You know, mm-hmm. like I felt like I was a, a newborn baby. You know how they kind of like sway back and forth. They don't really have that balance. They can't really stand up yet. That was me, but a 29 year old male. <laughs> Totally bizarre. And then obviously my heart rate would go nuts and they'd have to sit me back down. And that was the next three or four weeks in the hospital was just trying to rebuild my muscle enough to be able to walk. But at this um, point you're, you're already kind of green lighted and on your, well on your way to recovery versus. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I say that I shouldn't have been frustrated. You know, I survived. I made it through like a near death experience. I beat COVID. And at that point, it was just recovery. So, and everyone kept telling me it just takes time, and patience is my my weakest virtue. So, I mean, frustration is involuntary. I think, kind of like anger. At any time, so you're in there, right? And I'm not sure how crazy this question is, but at any time while you were in there, did you find yourself making peace with the fact that you may not even live, or were you just like, screw that, I'm going to make it, I will survive? When I was hallucinating, I didn't think I would live. I was pretty sure I was going to get shot. Um, <laughs> but uh, there were, yeah, there were moments when I was intubated where I would have that sharp pain in my neck every now and then thinking like, holy crap, like this is super serious. I didn't know the percentage at that point. This could be but it. I was like, yeah, there, there, there's a chance. Um, apparently, before I got intubated, that 24-hour window when I was sedated, I texted other Ben told him that that might be the last time he hears me, um, which is terrifying. I don't remember sending that text, uh, but it's out there. <laughs> yeah, so this definitely I terrifying. Totally knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Ben having to receive that text. <laughs> no, I, so when you're on the ventilator, you, you don't have a conscience, yeah, right? Like yeah. y- you're not, you're not there. It's all subconscious. So like the support that I had leading up to that point was overwhelming. And, and, you know, hopefully some of the, the people that have supported me through that are listening right now. Um, because like, thank you. <laughs> that might be the reason I'm alive. Um, right. my, my friends and family, uh, obviously like I got so many cards and so many letters, uh, brought tears in my eyes so many times, just knowing that all those people cared about me, which I honestly did not realize before, because again, I think I'm not a great person. I think that's the biggest thing I kind of learned through this experience. But Ben Thorne. Going back to the very beginning of this, people do care and people do care about who you guys are, not only for your videos, but who you guys are as people. And I think what you experienced, especially what you just said, man, that had to have, I mean, it could bring tears to your eyes, but it's like, wow, you know, this, it, it, I am more than just what they see through the videos. People actually do care about who yeah, I am. That's, and that's a crazy reality. And, and that honestly might be the reason that I'm alive today. Um, knowing that I had that support and that I'm not just fighting for my life, but for the fact that 
other people want to see me live. After I got off the ventilator, I saw that um, my wife and Ben had set up a GoFundMe to help with, you know, the hospital bills and everything, uh, which again, blows my mind. Um, I'd seen GoFundMe's go before and mm-hmm. I'd never seen one with such support. Same. 950 people gave money out of their pockets to help pay for my hospital bills. Uh, still blows my mind. I'm a selfish person. Like to be able to give even a dollar, let alone some of the donations that people gave is just incredible. Really, really gives me faith in humanity again. So yeah, if any of you guys are listening, thank you. Cause uh, you might've helped me survive. Yeah. I, I thought the same thing with the GoFundMe. I was like, wow, hopefully this is one of those things, you know, where you're like, yeah, like I just said, you know, it's, it's, it's important for people and it's not just because, you know, it's just someone who needs help. It's because it's you. And I thought that was awesome to see. Yeah. I, I want to pay it forward the best I can, you know, like so much of the world needs that. And there's so many people out there again, that are way better of a person than me that maybe just don't have friends, connections, families, and they need that support. And there might not be anyone there to give it to them. Uh, the nurses told me after the fact, thankfully not before the fact, that they've seen more people come off the vent in a body bag than surviving. And every time that I get frustrated, they they told me that, you know, like I need to count my blessings, the fact that I survived it. And I, I just can't help but have survivor's guilt for the people that aren't as fortunate to have the connections and stuff that I had to have the, the amount of support that I had. But you know, it's, it's, it's easier said than done, but at the end of the day, it's the support matters a lot, but the conditions, the situations, um, a lot of it is chance. And there are a lot of people who have survived. Sure. We focus on those who haven't, but I mean, you're, you're part of that group of people that did survive. And so it's, I guess it's hard not to have survivor's guilt, but at the same time, you know, you're not the one survivor in a catastrophe, like a plane crash, because then you'd be a superhero. But you're 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 part of the, you know, the positive statistic to give other people hope. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast's getting deep. It is, man. That's me, man. This is how we serve it. Been thrown on a platter. So. <laughs> Could you not wait? (laughs) (laughs) Got an apple in your mouth. A is for apple. Keep saying apple to help your vocal cords get back. Apple Easter. Yeah. Could you not wait to jump? Like how how long ago does the big cross country trip? I know you guys do them every once in a while, but you guys did one like a year ago, year and a half ago. The really big one. How how long ago does that feel? And could you not wait to jump back into that, or just kind of laying there in that bed? And and for the times you were you know, lucid. Was it like, okay, when I get out, things are going to be a little different or I can't wait to get back to how it was, but maybe I'll do things a little differently with the second chance. Or is it just like hit the ground and running as soon as you're able to? My concept of time has been distorted because the days feel a lot longer when you're sitting in a room without stimulation. So the, the, the roughly two months that I was in the hospital feels like a year easily. So uh, even at the start of this podcast, or maybe it was before we even started rolling, I was like, when did we last film? It's like five years ago, right? Like it feels like that to me. So that last road trip I took feels like at least a year ago. I don't actually, I'd have to pull it up. I don't actually remember. I don't think it maybe was a year ago. 
Um, it had to have been this year because we have a, a contract with advance and, it, and it, we had to have done it this year. So it was this year, but yeah, I, I'm a workaholic. So every day that I was sitting there in the hospital, I just wanted to be doing something. Uh, even if I'm sitting at home, not doing anything, which has been frustrating in itself, like, because I don't have the physical ability to, to really jump back into work. It's frustrating because like the progress and, and getting stuff done is what makes me feel happy. It's what makes me feel like I've accomplished something. So not being able to do that is frustrating. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to jump back into it, but I'm definitely a different man than I was when I went into that hospital. I learned a lot more about patience and I learned a lot more about not burning myself out. There is a balance. There's a balance in almost everything in life, but there's definitely a balance in, in work as well. And it should, in theory, make work that much more efficient and higher quality, not burning yourself out and just running around all the time. Where does so. that drive come from? from you working so hard before at least like is that just something you've always done or did you see, was there something that happened when you were younger i mean where do you think that comes from i couldn't give you like a fully honest answer because that's something that's kind of impossible to prove but i think uh this would be my theory i'm the youngest child out of three boys having two older brothers i think pushes me because First of all, very competitive. Uh, we were all very competitive with each other. But being the youngest, I always had the underhand, if you will. Uh, I had the disadvantage in intelligence and strength. And I think that's what kind of pushes me because I wanted to be, you know, on equal playing field with them growing up in whatever context. Obviously, we, you know, we'd have physical fights with each other. We'd have sports games with each other, you know, school, whatever, extracurricular activities. Yeah, so I think that is probably the root of it because development is most impactful in your life. And through that development, I've been competitive. So, yeah, it's just, I think, a drive out of that. But nah, there's no way of knowing for real. Are you a video game remote thrower? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't play too many video games anymore. Uh, you went through too many yeah, remotes? My, we, my brother and I, both my brothers, uh, we play... Halo 1 when it came out yeah. and Halo 2. And those were, uh, some controllers were damaged. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Which may or may not been from you, but they're out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually broke a controller recently. Uh, the only game I really play anymore is Forza. Mm-hmm. And I broke the, the clutch button on it, I guess, from just playing it too much. <laughs> That's funny. How's being, because you're recently married within the last year, right? Was it, or is it two years now? Oh man. So, uh, to make this whole experience even worse, I had my one year wedding anniversary while I was in the hospital. Okay. October yeah. 16th. Okay. Yeah. So one year, a little over a year. <laughs> How, I mean, I'm sure she's, I mean, she has to be super supportive of everything that you've gone through with her and you've alluded that you're not a good person and you're probably a difficult person, but I don't know if that's the case, but she's with you. So she believes in you, but how has being married had an effect on your ability to make videos, you know, on your life with your wife? Like how has it had an effect? And of course you guys were married in the pandemic era as well. So things were already slowed down a little bit. Yeah. I've been with her for four and a half ish years now. So she knows what um, this is. So yeah, she, she knows yes. me. Um, she's, she's also just the best 
in every aspect. Uh, drives me nuts because I'm not, again, <laughs> reiterating. She was super supportive through the hospital, obviously, and through making videos. She's very introvert. Uh, mm-hmm. So she, with everything, is a balance, but she really likes every now and then there's some time alone, you know, when I'm going on for a trip or whatever. So it, it really works out for both of us because if she's around too many people for too long, months on an end, it can really wind her up and she just needs to be able to relax. So every now and then it's kind of nice because then she can kind of relax for a bit while I'm gone. Um, it's been perfect. Yeah. And I mean, it's been that way for a while, which is good. So, yeah. But no, I mean, it, it helps that this is what you guys do. You know, when I first met you, you guys a couple of years ago, you both had mentioned you had other jobs. And at some point this turned into your job as gears and gasoline. Which is, I guess, different than trying to make something stick and getting frustrated and bills aren't getting paid and all that kind of stuff. So she's been there through the climb and seen the continued success and the future success. So that has to help a little bit. Yeah, she <laughs> she was there when we first quit or when I first quit my job. We quit around the same time. She uh, <laughs> Were you guys insane for I, doing that? We'll put it lightly. Uh, yeah, I quit too early for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't recommend quitting that early. Um but uh, it was just kind of the way that things kind of timed with uh, I was getting frustrated at my my office job, not because of the office job, but just kind of some of the dynamics that were mm-hmm. happening. So I just wanted to get out of there. So I kind of made the jump earlier than you should, which made me very frugal. Right. <laughs> uh, I was penny pinching like crazy for at least the first year. And uh, I'm glad we went through that. We'll put it that way. Sure. <laughs> it's good to be frugal. It is, and it helps put things in perspective. Like, I don't ever want to be in this position again, so I better make sure that I try my best to not put myself in that position again. The best way to do that is to pinch every single penny. You make sure every dollar that I'm handing over at the store is $1, not $2 stuck together. (laughs) Yeah, I I bought a lot of store brand food at that time. I'm thankful to, you know, we have dual income now. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that that's not a problem anymore. I'm also thankful that I have health insurance. Mm-hmm. through her uh, because obviously uh, there's no YouTuber health insurance. You have to pay for it on your own, which I had looked into when I turned 26. Um, I don't know how international your, your listeners are, but in the States, 26, you can't be on your parents' insurance anymore, which right. I was just riding on the coattails of because why wouldn't you until I turned 26? And then I was like, well, crud, I don't have health insurance, but I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm good. I, yeah, I'm like, you know, what, it's going to cost 300 bucks a month or whatever. I'm like, I save that money and just put it aside. Then that'll cover health issues that I ever have. You know, I looked up some of the general, oh, broken arm, whatever. How much is it going to cost, really? And figured that after a few years, I'd have enough saved up in not paying arm. health insurance that it would cover it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was that was dumb. Uh, I don't recommend that. I got lucky, uh, like most things that I happen to get lucky. But uh yeah, very, very glad I have health insurance now through my wife. If I had gotten COVID even a year earlier, I'd really be up the creek. Uh, I mean, the GoFundMe money has definitely helped and all that. Um, and I still have, I opted for the, um, this is like way too much detail, but I opted for the catastrophic coverage, which is the highest deductible, but also the highest coverage. Right. Um, yep. If you have catastrophic issues, my thought was cancer. I didn't think COVID would be a catastrophic cost. Sure. But, uh, yeah, the bills still haven't come in for that yet, but, uh, I have a rough estimate from a lot of different sources and ideas and stuff that, uh, 
I'd really be screwed if I didn't have health insurance. Might have to go back to store brand food for a while. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I uh, you'll get a kick out of this having radiology uh, experience. The CT scan. So I got a bill like one week into the hospital. She had to pay at least half of our um, uh, deductible. Sure. Um, so you had a, a bill like one weekend or whatever. And I had a CT scan in that first week. And uh, looking at the the cost line items for some of these things, it's crazy. My CT scan on the bill anyway was $10,000. Whoa. What? <laughs> like what? I, I So I Googled it. And the CT scans are supposed to be like, between 500 and five grand. Right. Like it, apparently it varies a lot, but 10 grand, like, come on. Yeah. I was like, thinking you, like 12 you, or 1300 just, for the exam itself. Yeah. 10 grand is a bit extreme. Um, yeah. And then like the cost of being in an IC room is like 3,500 bucks a day or something. Mm-hmm. Then on top of that, you've got all your other, you know, medications and tests and the blood, uh, which was every day. It's, uh, it's, uh, healthcare is a problem. Um, but I don't want to get political here. No, it's in in working in the industry, you have to start somewhere. And that's a big question, even for those of us who work in the industry and I'm non-clinical, but I see the billing and and, and it's one of those things like, why does this CT machine, why does this MRI machine cost 2 million? Who decides it costs 2 million? That's kind of how it all trickles down. That's why our healthcare is so damn expensive. Um, but yeah, not to get, not to get overly political on that. A lot of the cost is the development, you know, figuring it out is, how to even make the product. But there's no regulation in the cost. There's no regulation that, you know, one hospital may charge one yeah. thing and the next hospital three miles down the street, something completely different. Yeah. 10 grand for a CT scan should never be the case. I've worked in healthcare since 2008. That's insane. Yeah. We'll say that for another time. With <laughs> personalities evolve, interests evolve over the years. You know, how hard is it, you know, to keep coming up with the content? You know, have you noticed any style content also evolving as you guys evolved as the creators around the brand? Yeah. I mean, view count is going to influence what you do going forward. I mean, if you do a video, you pour a lot of effort into it and it doesn't get any views. You're probably not going to make that type of content again. Uh, It is a business and it's not just about the view count, but that's what we're making our living off of. We also have two two staff members um, and we have a building, an office building. And camera gear, and there's a lot of overhead costs. So, you know, if you make videos that don't make money, you're not going to survive. So, it, a little bit of that is adapting to what our viewers seem to like, and the best way we know what they like is based on view count. So, yeah, I, I think when we started, we did a lot of car features, like we did with your car. Uh, we haven't done one of those in a long time because we've just kind of evolved a little bit. We doing a lot of build type stuff on our own cars, um, which is a very, yeah, we didn't do any of that before. Uh, we started with the, the ZX2 build, but that was, um, that kind of died off for a bit in the middle there. But yeah, we're focusing a lot more on builds, obviously like the road trips, the tracking stuff, uh, which we've only been doing recently uh, with our own cars uh, the last two years. Uh, we're gonna be diving more into that. Next year is gonna be crazier than last year as far as like competitive time attack, I won the championship, which is cool uh, for this year. It wasn't like official until last month, which I was in the hospital for. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully I can do a repeat of that next season. Um, it's fun to have a competitive outlet. Um, yeah. Our, our, our content is obviously going to change as what our viewers like change and the type of content that's on YouTube changes as a whole. So 
we won't be doing builds forever. Like that's going to change. Who knows what's next? There's that line that you have to kind of blur a little bit because I I can hear people listening, thinking, oh, well, you just do it for the people. Well, not for yourself. Well, you still do it for yourself, but it is a business. So it's like you go, any business will tell you, you go where the trends pay you to go in a sense. And and you, you still put your touch on everything. That's why it's your stuff. But if, you know, individual build showcases, which we all appreciate, aren't what's going to bring in the more of the viewership, the more of the revenue than chronicling a road trip to, to grid life. Then obviously you still have fun chronicling the road trip to grid life, but that's what you do. You know, that's the business side of it. Yeah. And there's always like, we're not going to make content we don't want to do. Right. Um, we've made videos before that have done really well that we just maybe don't want to make a bunch of them or, you know, for whatever reason, if we don't enjoy doing it, we're not going to do it. It's, not about the money, which is easy to say, but it is about the money because right. we have overhead costs. But like at the same time, you don't want to be in a job that you don't want to be in. So we don't want to put our guys through that and we don't want to go through that. So we're just going to make the content we want to make. And that the viewers see that, like if you're making a video that you don't want to make, it's not going to be a good video. Yeah. And if you were working somewhere, you didn't want to work, you'd still be in corporate America. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I kind of liked the office life. I like there's, there's aspects about it that I miss. I was having a conversation with a coworker yesterday. He's, uh, invested a lot of money in crypto over the last year or two. And he has zero overhead, personal overhead. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about working and he said, he's a, he's a year or two away from just quitting all the normal work. And he's younger. He's somewhere between my age and yours. And I was like, don't you want to, pick up something every once in a while just to have something to give you a daily purpose or something to put your efforts into because there's a certain dynamic that comes with the office. There's a certain dynamic that actually comes with working. I mean, even you guys, some people could say, Hey, you're having a lot of fun, which you are, but it's still a lot of hard work and there's four of you. And that's where you kind of get that, that dynamic. Plus, you know, when you're talking to other people, other sponsors, you're still at least able to build that dynamic. You're not sitting on a beach sipping Mai Tais all day, which sounds great until like day three, then you're bored as hell, especially if it's a go getter (laughs) like you. Yeah. And you don't see the work that gets put into the videos. All you do is watch the videos, right? Right. I mean, the, the amount of editing time per video, we have four people working on this and we put one video out a week. So that's right. There is, is 160 hours per video total. I mean, some of that is obviously the business overhead and having meetings and emails and podcasts, but it's at least 80 hours per video, which it's a 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute video. <laughs> There's a lot of work that goes into it. So I'm feeling kind of guilty because I've had you on here and you've probably talked, I would imagine you've talked more in this last hour and a half than you've at any given time in the last few weeks. Uh, I don't think so. My, my voice is strong. <laughs> my voice is strong this guy. Cause it, you know, you're talking about running out of breath or, or running out of oxygen. I'm like, geez, you know, it actually takes effort to talk. Not wanna, anymore. Want to do some Q and a real quick? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, so this will, we'll, we'll get you out of here on the Q and a segment. All right, Ben, let's jump into some of these questions. First question is submitted by CC sweet or salty. Do you prefer sweet or salty? I think you need both. I balance both, but I would err more towards salty. My blood pressure is a little high, so that's probably a good indicator that I like salty. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Do I have a sweet tooth? Not really. If you put a 
pecan pie in front of me. First off, is it pecan or pecan? I say pecan. I say pecan. I depends on where you're from. I know, but it, I've, I've lived everywhere. I say pecan, but I gravitate toward salty. So if you give me a bag of chips, if they're not salty, I don't want them. The low sodium mm-hmm. stuff, go fuck yourself. <laughs> don't want it. Next question. What is the do most? Have, do you have high blood pressure? Uh, sometimes. Uh, well, you need low sodium stuff. <laughs> yeah. I will ask, what's the most overrated burger joint? Definitely in and out. Yes. Which is going to get a lot of hate. I know. I know. That's why it's overrated, though. I mean, it's fine. It's cheap. And I think that's the only reason people are crazy about it. It's a great deal for what, like, what you pay for what you get. It's a great ratio. But I, it's blown out of proportion. It's not Most worth are sitting in line. Like like every no, in no. and out out here, every in and out has like thirty cars around it all the time. And I've, when we first moved out here, my wife and I we went to in and out once. We say, ah, it's okay, it's pretty good, but we've never been back. And anytime I thought about it, every single one has a line around. It. I'm like, fuck that, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah, it, I mean the bang for the buck is undeniable, but you got to be in the mood for cheap. <laughs> yeah, you have to be a little patient. Ashley Sierra yeah. asks, what are your 2022 goals? Ben Thorne, what are your 2022 goals? Because it's the time of year you have to start thinking about that if you're into that. Yeah, I, I want to stay out of the hospital. That's a pretty Good big goal. one. Other than that, uh, obviously, I'm trying to be a better person. I know these are like huge high up goals, uh, and they should be goals for every year. But um, yeah, <laughs> other than that, there's a lot of uh, stuff I want to get done on my my cars. Um, so there'll be a lot of build episodes in 2022. I don't know what my 2022 goals are. Well, I, I know what one of them is, but I've made no public announcements on any of my social medias, but I figured if you guys have waited to this end of the podcast, if you're still with us, basically in this Q and a segment, my goal is to make sure I still have a job by the time that my car that I pre-ordered is built so that I can prove proof of income and get the car. And then after that, Mm. I don't know. Keep uh, knocking away at the podcast, getting some more podcast growth and getting some more uh, awesome guests on like you to keep in my own little personal collection of audio. Are you uh, like contracted? Yeah, I'm a contractor. Yep. Uh, as I say, hopefully you're not worried about losing your job, but if you're contracted, that makes sense. Yeah, I live my life one contract at a time. Mm. I can't use the I, official I hashtag anymore. Well, to a degree. You, you, yeah, you, you are like you. Yeah, because <laughs> you're right. You, you have you, you have to count on your production I right, put that down as a 2022 goal as well. I hope I keep my job. Yeah, I hope you keep your job too. So does everybody who's listening. <laughs> Mimi asks, thoughts on people getting upset about having people park in front of their house on the street or maybe your driveway and take up your parking? I, uh, I, I have a lot of cars, so I do take up a lot of room on my own driveway. But I have a driveway, so I'm not, I'm not uh, street parked. Ben has street parking, uh, so he probably gets more frustrated at that. Um, and he, yeah, uh, we've got so many cars that you can't park them all out front of your house, which I know first of all problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, there, there was a guy one time that pulled into my driveway. I was outside for whatever reason, the guy pulls into my driveway and I'm thinking he's going to come ask me a question or something. Uh, and then just pulls onto my front lawn, parks the car and gets out and starts walking to my neighbor's house. <laughs> like, uh, can I help you? And he's like, Oh, I'm just here for the whatever party. And I'm like, uh, no, like this yeah, park over there, bud. And he, <laughs> I guess he saw all the cars I had parked and thought that we were all part of the party. But to pull onto your lawn, 
Yeah, yeah, that's a bit weird. I mean, my lawn's not special or fancy by any means, but still, I mean, it's your lawn. <laughs> I mean, if the yeah. driveway wasn't weird enough, yeah, I guess my thought on the matter is don't park in my driveway. I don't own the property in front of my house as much as we think we own that property. I guess in a scenario where it's assigned and it's literally like assigned assigned, it needs to be marked assigned. So if you're living in a condo and that's just where everyone parks, which I'll never get a condo, I'm not going to get an apartment if I'm living by myself unless I have a place to dedicate to my car. But the road in front of my house, if I like it or not, I don't own that property. It'd be nice if they didn't park in front of mine. But if I'm throwing a party, I hope that my guests can park in front of somebody else's house without getting yelled at. In fact, we do it all the time. We go to people's parties. We park wherever we can park. We just don't block the driveway so we don't get yelled at. Yeah. I mean, we both live in like suburbs. If we were more in like a city city or like more of a downtown area, I can imagine that being super frustrating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're coming like downtown Chicago. You know, and you're living in those those cool little condo apartment thingies, condo apartment thingies, and there is no <laughs> assigned parking. So now now you have to park, you know, 50 yards down the street. I'd be a little frustrated from coming home yeah. at two in the morning or anytime. You know, that's a yeah, screw that. So I get that, but in this case, in front of your house, street parking. I mean, it is what it is. If it's not assigned, all you can be is upset. But other than that. Get a dedicated parking spot. You want to deal with it. Yeah, I know uh, colleges and universities have a huge parking problem because there's so many people there and mm-hmm. and the buildings you got to basically walk anywhere. I uh, <laughs> I specifically avoided the colleges that didn't allow freshmen to park. Like freshmen couldn't have cars, which is a lot That's of so colleges. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't even apply. <laughs> That's dumb. Those, those rules. Those rules are dumb. I wouldn't have applied either. <laughs> Ben Thorne, Gears and Gasoline, thank you for making it out of the hospital. We're all The world is a better place, whether you believe it or not, with you back on the streets. Thanks for joining Park well, Parking. You. It's been a long time. Ben, how can people get a hold of you? How can they watch your awesome content that we've talked about a little bit here? We are mostly on YouTube, Gears and Gasoline. Uh, Instagram is more personal if you appreciated uh, more of a personal side. Um, I try to post stories and stuff on there as much as I can. Um, Yeah, which is also Gears and Gasoline on Instagram. And that is about it for social media. Actually, hold on a second. We just started a TikTok. Um, I don't have TikTok on my phone, but our uh, lovely staff member, Luke, manages uh, the TikTok. He is our um, Gen Z extraordinaire. Uh, So if you're into TikTok content, uh, yeah, we're on there. I don't do the ticky talk machine, but my wife's addicted to it. So you either, yeah, you're either addicted or you don't do it. <laughs> I don't do it. Cause I don't want to be addicted. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. I want to thank Ben Thorne of gears and gasoline for joining the show. We recorded that December 10th, December 10th of 2021. Just wanted to update that my other good friend is out of the hospital and doing very well. We also did buy a couple of those oxygen pulse finger thingies for the house. We did have a scare. I did have a very close family member who lives with us contract COVID, but she made it through. I've said on this podcast before, one of the biggest reasons, obviously it's 
It was a good thing to do, but for us, we felt it was mandatory in this household to get vaccinated because a member of this household was seriously compromised health-wise. But she made it, and the physicians, her doctor, other doctors said that if had she not been vaccinated, she probably would have been in a very bad place right now. So we glad we are. Did not ask Ben if he was or was not. Honestly, it didn't really matter that much to me as somebody that I have known casually for a while. When someone you know gets hospitalized for anything, the details, like what got them there, aren't always the most important. And I know with Ben of Gears and Gasoline, that is one of the first questions, even I thought that myself, like, huh, we've been programmed, right? We've been programmed to wonder if someone's been vaccinated or they haven't been. We wonder if it's a choice or if it's politicized. We've had people on this show before that have said that once it becomes politicized, all bets are off. So if this is your first time listening to the show. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing, whether you subscribe on Apple or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Amazon, Pandora, wherever you consume your podcast. Leave a review if you're able to leave a review. I do appreciate it. Also, subscribe to my YouTube page. You subscribe to Gears and Gasoline. I'm not nearly as good as Gears and Gasoline, but I try to make relevant content. I don't get it out as nearly as often as I should. I want to thank Wright Honda and welcome Wright Toyota as a partner of the show. So now it's Wright Toyota and Wright Honda. They are literally across the street from each other. Full Online, thank you for renewing. Patreon business supporter, Koya Automotive out of Winter Garden, Florida. Mark Stolman, Catherine Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Graves, Byron Jones, and Bo Jung as the personal Patreons. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash hardparkingpodcast. Sign up for as little as $3 a month. Not mandatory, but you do get access to bonus audio as well as little show trinkets and swag as I get it. Actually, this last year, I kind of took care of the the personal Patreons for those that were on a certain tier, so not all of them. What I realized toward the end of the year is all the money that I had been collecting from the supporters, I had yet to pull out, and so I decided to use that money to buy them something kind of cool. And then whatever else is left, I'll just leave in there or I'll pull out because it'll help support the show, paying for everything that I use, paying for the microphones, paying for my monthly subscription to Adobe. You want to email the show, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at jfenning, that's J-H-A-E-P-F-E-N-N-I-N-G, or jtravels, which is J-H-A-E underscore travels. Join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook group. Follow the podcast. Like the page, Hard Parking Podcast, also on Facebook. I can't grow without you telling the world how good this show is. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. We'll talk to you all next week. Happy New Year. More stuff to get into. More changes coming to the show. Big changes have come with me personally. I'll get into that more next week. A beater. Shut up!